Hi, my name is Divya and welcome to Articulate. Articulate is a podcast for students of art that I have started in order to create an archive and a community for them to dip into for ideas and inspiration. I speak with artists across continents and genres about themselves and how they see their art in today's world context. Today, I'm very happy to introduce to you young Kushid Nariman, who is an amazingly talented artist based in New Delhi. Khurshid started off as a student of political science and won many awards in her leadership roles in college, but then quickly moved to art and made a mark again in Delhi's art circles. She has apprenticed with well-known artists and artisans across India and has been part of many shows in India and abroad. Khushid has also started a novel initiative called Art and Artisans that connects artisans and master craftspeople from villages and towns with secondary and A-level students uh, in a drive to provide an impetus to the impetus to the art sector. She was recently awarded the prestigious Delhi Minorities Commission Award for Sculpture. I was so impressed by Khurshid singing on her Facebook post that I had to go on and find out more about her practice and was so struck by her boundless energy and will to keep learning. So I present to you Khurshid Nariman. Hello, my dear. How are you? Hi, Daniel. How are you? Um, so um, I know Bistar, we wanted to have this recording last week, but then uh, you lost your grandmother. How are you feeling? Yes, unfortunately. It's been a bit rocky since, but everyone's moving on. So so I saw in your post that she um, was a great influence for your, uh, for you to become an artist and she was a great supporter and uh, encouraged you, uh, you know, to go in this field. So um, do you, what, what do you have to say to that? my grandmother was very creative and I think the women in my family are generally very creative so my grandmother's written a hand like a bunch of art books really she's written a bunch of uh, cookbooks yeah so my grandmother's written she's written a bunch of cookbooks she's also been painting most of her life Mm -hmm. so she's been extremely creative and she was extremely supportive of my creative journey Mm-hmm. to begin with and I think she's had a big influence as well on my artworks in general so it was really great having her as a sort of a support system and just before she passed away I got to tell her about this award as well oh which was super special for me exactly so I received it post her passing but she was very happy about it mm. so tell uh, our listeners about the Parsi community and also like, you know, your, the context where you uh, grew up in your, it's a very kind of uh, niche, uh, very small community, which is actually shrinking in India and have a, you have a very um, unique history also. So um, do you mind saying a bit more about uh, the Parsi community? Yeah, of course. I think we came to India about 1200 years ago. Mm. And From Iran, I- isn't it? Yeah, from Iran. Mm. My grandfather's actually from Burma, mm-hmm. who came down uh, first generation to India. And my grandmother's been in Bombay all her life as well. My other set of grandparents, which are my maternal grandparents, are from Ahmedabad. Parsis are we are very like quaint, small community in India. Yeah. I think we, we have customer for food, for life, 
for you know a lot of things we've got a lot of entrepreneurs within our community as well yeah yeah They're yeah they're extremely creative the tatas are of course uh, parsi absolutely yeah the tatas godrejes yeah you know these are the most well known i think parsis in india and um, yeah i think we're a very small but impactful community if mm. you ask me even within india very resourceful yeah and uh, yeah like i said we just have a cast of a life for creativity it's it's great actually and you said this vibrant small community yeah so you said that your family like immediate family are full of lawyers isn't it yeah my grandfather's a lawyer my father's a judge mm-hmm. so everyone in my line has done law so far mm. except for the women my mother was a teacher and my grandmother was an entrepreneur she headed a couple of social organizations right now i understand so uh, you always had this freedom to kind of take on whatever you wanted to do in terms of studies and career and practice so uh, how did you gravitate towards political science then so i think it was pretty much unsaid i think a lot of people assumed i just take up law my elder sister was actually a lawyer mm-hmm. and we're just both of us because that's the community we've also been brought up in and the environment we've been brought up in So from school I think I always had a passion for political science in school not knowing what to take when I went further on I was uh, lucky enough I think to get really good marks in the 12th mm. and that's why I gravitated toward Lady Shriram College for women Yeah I mean it's so difficult to get into that college Yeah oh absolutely which is part of Delhi University so I think I was just blessed to get in at the time and I loved it I had the best time there. I also I was part of the Western Music Society there. Mm. I was part of the Hive Society which is the Creative Arts Society as well in college. Mm-hmm. And I think both of these interests also peaked for me in college. I was singing as well as sort of making different sorts of art while Were I was you? in okay. college. And I happened to also intern at a number of places while at LSR. Mhm. You know made me realize that I think my passion lies outside political science. and more within the arts. Right. So as much as I loved political science and mm. I thrived on it. I think I realized somewhere along the line that it's not something I'd like to do long term. Mm. And I think I always knew in the back of my head law was definitely not something that I wanted to do. Right. So I had to break the news unfortunately to the men in my family. <laughs> no, but hopefully please with my decision at the time. Uh-huh. But they are fully on board now. Yeah. And that's when like you correctly said with my grandmother she was a huge support mm. during the time. And she really helped them come on board as well as did my mother. So I think the women in my family have been very encouraging since day one. So I've been extremely lucky and fortunate with them. Yeah because you uh, proved literally proved yourself with your uh, leadership awards and your ability to organize events and so it's so important in that um, field of political science to be like able to garner influence and so they must have been thinking that maybe you will go on to become a politician or uh, you know a professor in Jawaharlal Nehru University or something and But I yeah, I mean, it could still happen. They were more along the lines of my family is quite academic. Mm. My mother's got a PhD in education. Right. Okay. And uh, you know, my father's done a master's from Harvard in law. Mm-hmm. You should say school. all this first. <laughs> so, so basically, um, coming from that sort of backdrop, mm. I think they expected me to also maybe perhaps go into more academic line or yeah. into law. Mm. So I think there was a bit of pressure on that front but like I said I've been 
very blessed and lucky to have my sister's support, my grandmother's undying support, both grandmothers, mm. by the way, both sides. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, even my grandfather came quickly on board. And my mother, who's been my main support system, I think, throughout this entire journey. Right. So when I finally decided I wanted to get into this, they weren't entirely convinced mm. to begin with. But I think I soon proved to them that I did, in fact, have the abilities to honor what I wanted to do with art. Right. So for me, I don't think the theoretical, theoretical aspect was ever that much of an issue. Mm. It was more about the practical skills and the honing and really knowing what it's all about. I think it's important also to understand um, the context of the world that we live in. And so by doing political science and, you know, social sciences, it's so it kind of feeds into your art too now, isn't it? For sure. I think it's really helped me have a more research-based practice. Yeah. Especially post my master's program in the UK, which mm. I'll come to later. Mm. But I think that's also honored my research-based practice that I have today. Mm. And I have a lot to owe, actually, to LSR, which is Lady Shiram College, and all my professors there. Because I think it's helped me dip into subject matters I might not have looked at for my art practice at the yeah. time. So my bachelor's degree has definitely had a huge influence Absolutely. So when you say that you interned with artists and craftspeople, that was more like on its own to understand techniques, to learn how to make objects or paint or something. So it was not really like research based, but more skill based, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've done quite a few like uh, internship and apprenticeships. So why don't you just give us a little overview of what all you've done? So, straight after leaving Lady Shiram College, mm-hmm. I went into Triveni Kala Sangam, mm-hmm. which is in Mandi House in New Delhi. Anyone can join it. It's an art center. That's the beauty of it. And that's when I touched upon sculpture for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. We There's a very well-known um, artist called Saroj Jain, mm-hmm. who actually runs the sculpture division there. She was extremely kind to me when I first got there. Right. And I think that's when I first realized and I that I had the passion and love for sculpture mm. specifically, mm. more over a lot else. I was then fortunate enough to meet K.S. Radhakrishnan, who's a very big name in the sculpture industry today in India, especially. Okay. And when I first approached him, he was very kind. Mm. This was in Delhi. In, it's in Delhi. Okay. Yeah. I'm from Delhi, so... Mm. I looked for artists based around here. Locally, yeah. And his studio is in Chhattarpur. Mm-hmm. So he was very kind to let me go intern there for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think most of my artistic skills are actually thanks to him and oh, his it? team. Mm. So I went there to intern to begin with when mm. I was very young. Mm. And he was kind enough to ask me to hang on and honor my skills further. So how there. long would those internships be typically? So I actually spent two years at KS Radhakrishna. Oh, that's studio. a long time, yeah. So it's a long time. Mm. So that's my where my main skill set and my. So would you get paid or is it just like? No. It's all he was kind thing. enough to at least let me use his studio and yeah. his materials and his workforce. So you know, and just to even help me, you know, my skills. He taught me a lot mm. practically. So a lot of my abilities today are thanks to him. Thanks to him, yeah. And my love for bronze is purely also, I think, thanks to him. Mm-hmm. I've seen him, you know, make like bronze sculptures in front of me from day one. Mm. And I think it's just had some sort of, a, I've had a fashion, like it's a 
passionate sort of medium that I now have that I think I'm honored. It speaks to you now. It speaks to me for sure. It's got a lot of movement. It's got a lot of style to it. It can be rough. It can be smooth. It can be anything you like. Mm. And I love. I absolutely love making something from scratch, from point zero. Mm-hmm. So, so you do like the? Is it a, a lost wax process? It is. It is. Mm-hmm. That's the process that I do use for bronze as well. And I think actually in turning with other people, like you correctly said. So I went to Odisha mm-hmm. where I interned with Sudarshan Sahu, who of course is a Padma Shri awardee for stone sculptures. So he also, I think, and then I went to Arzan Kambata in Bombay, who basically is again a well-known metal sculptor. Mm-hmm. So also in turning with these people, I think opened up my mind to a lot else about sculpture and new materials and new techniques. And I think having touched upon, I think all mediums of sculpture now. Mm-hmm. I've done a good internship with um, Cyrus Dalal in Pune. He's a wooden sculptor. I've done metal, which is sort of scrap material, more scrap material oriented, with mm-hmm. Arzan Kambata in Bombay, mm-hmm. and stone sculpture with Sudarshan Sahu, mm-hmm. and then of course bronze with Radha. Sahu. Literally all different kinds of material. Absolutely, and I think that's very important for someone starting out in a field. Yeah, because it's just to honor and to really. Go into the different sorts of materials that are out Plus there. Plus, the number of people you meet, the kind of contacts you make. Absolutely, with them. absolutely. So you don't know when you will kind of, um, you know, end up collaborating or even asking them yeah. for help or uh, things like that. So how it's did been you? Great, yeah. Yeah. So how did? Is it like a done thing? I I left India like fifteen years ago, so I have no idea what's the latest kind of. Um, practice that young people do but is it something that everybody does get into apprenticeships or this was something that a novel approach that you thought of and you kind of looked out for artists and did you write to many of them and did you get many refusals or is it like um uh, uh openly um acknowledged that you know students want to apprentice and artists take them on willingly so i think for me personally i can't speak for others unfortunately mm. everybody has a different journey within the arts mm. so some take the conventional journey which is doing a bachelor's in fine arts which is great and then moving on to a masters and then going into the art market immediately mm. my approach was of course a little different because i hadn't got a bachelor's within the arts mm-hmm. so having said that i think it's important for people to just reach out to artists right they seem like the staff fetch dream where you know they are so accomplished so you feel you have a bit of trepidation yeah. before reaching out mm. but they're just human beings at the end of the day mm. and some of them are fantastic some of course won't respond some respond very positively which gives you such a good sort of feeling you know when you feel like you're absolutely nobody did you have you to know, like you prove are, yourself as and send in your portfolio or something or you just had to write for a, like, some of them yeah okay yeah for some of them for some not so much for mm. some it's just someone like Cyrus Dalal is actually not a um, poking artist it's more of a hobby for him mm-hmm. but he's brilliant and he's done a lot of sculptures in Pune so having said that like i just i approached him because he's a family friend and that's how i got into that particular like internship with him mm-hmm. as for sudarshan sahu of course i had to write a formal letter requesting to right. sort of get in and you know mm-hmm. tell him that i was interested in sculpture and i think you know also it was very kind of all of them mm-hmm. to take me in when i knew absolutely nothing mm-hmm. quite literally in the subject matter as well and you learn a lot by just being in their studio and in their spaces 
so tell so, me like here we keep crying on about that you know i mean us people from uh, the east and out of the western milieu we keep uh, crying about how western art history is the be all and end all and that's like considered the default and no one ever um looks to the east for you know their version of their art history it's just you know you talk about yoga and spirituality and japanese zen buddhism and stuff like that so do do these indian artists who are kind of well known and established who do they refer to and do they have their own kind of um I mean, what do they read? What kind of philosophy? What kind of inspirations? Who do they look up to? Please don't tell me they again look up to like uh, impressionists and Picasso and <laughs> the so you know the Western art history. I mean, they of course be better. Uh, you know, they answer. there go question better but having said that sudarshan sahu does very traditional indian art mm. so it's very typical temple indian art fantastic so even when i went to his studio i learned how to do motifs of the lotus mm. which is a national flower of the elephant mm-hmm. you know of a peacock mm. which is a national bird so it was fascinating to just learn from someone who's very entrenched in indian art specifically um so I think his influences are a lot to do with Indian architectural temples, with you know the Pandava region, with the Gupta period. Yeah, so obviously you have to read into the history and read the connections. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And it was fascinating because he is very well known for his Buddhas. Oh, okay. His Buddha heads are very well known all over the world now. Mm-hmm. And he actually lived and worked in Japan for a number of years, mm-hmm. and he owned his skills there. Strangely enough, even though he comes back to Indian art. in order okay. to his artwork right so sudarshan sahu is a very typical indian context of art mm-hmm. arzan kumbhata on the other hand is completely different mm. he is very modern mm. in his sculptures he's got very quirky lovely sort of taglines and titles he also adheres to the space mm-hmm. so he's more of a commercial artist mm. so to him when you give him a space he'll do it according to the space so it's right. very modern mm-hmm. and as for uh, radha so i think ks radhakrishnan would be a bit of a mix of both of them mm. because he does these tribal heads he has two main figurines mm. and he does these tribal heads which are very indian in their context but he makes them move in these mon- monkey type positions and they literally look like they're floating in air and he does 20 feet long sculptures of bronze so it makes it look very light even though it's a super heavy material and that's what he specializes in so have they kind of ever um, dipped into our tribal like like radhakrishnan sir um you know puppetry and you know we have so much rich heritage of tribal art that we can you know use from so do they ever uh, have crafts people from the villages from these um, tribal areas to come and work for them do they give employment to them do they even help these um, impoverished they are quite impoverished now nobody really yeah, helps them and i think the government is not too effective isn't it so um so sudarshan sahu is actually great in this regard because mm. he employs 400 people oh, okay. from around odisha mm-hmm. just to help him with his stone sculptures mm-hmm. because stone carving takes a number of years mm. to even complete a single sculpture so he really does help these craftsmen even hone their skills from the villages nearby as well as he gives employment to any number of them 
Right. As for Radha sir and Arjan Kambata, speaking for them, I saw of course they've employed quite a few people because it takes an entire load to get a you know have a successful sculpture career, especially. Mm-hmm. But as for the villages and all, I'm not too sure. But of course they picked up people who are craftspeople to begin with, and then helped hone their skills. Who now are with them full time. Wow. So yeah, so this was how long now the all this um, apprenticing was for how many years totally? So I apprenticed as well as interned with various people over a period of three years. Okay, that's so right. I've also done pottery. Mm-hmm. So I went to a, a blue pottery in Delhi, where basically there was a girl called Anisha Jain who's mm-hmm. been very kind, mm-hmm. and I learned pottery from her. And so I've touched upon pretty much all materials within sculpture or three-dimensional forms that I could think of. Wow. I've also done a bit of paper mache. Mm. So I've done all varying forms to then finally sort of hone into bronze, which is something I realize that I love. So you're going to stick to bronze from now on. For now, For yes, now. absolutely. So then, uh, how did you think of? Uh, the uk to do your mfa i mean how did that fit into your plans and why did you choose the uk so after having worked with radha sir for about 3 years i realized that i'd like to get some formal education in art mm. i personally believe it's quite important to have some form of education within the arts because it can teach you quite a lot mm. and i think i honed on to the uk to be quite honest i just wanted a big metropolitan city mm. with a lot of art like art around it mm. and for it to be vibrant and different sort of people and cultures so i was actually looking at london and new york specifically mm. for an art schools within them because i'd like to be like in the middle of art like that was one of my main priorities of going there as well absolutely so i think i finally honed into uar um just i think through research if you ask me because mm. i was just looking at the top ranking colleges and i realized that i wanted to do a course that was a little more diverse and not just specifically sculpture oriented mm. something that just had fine arts in general so that's why i applied to the mfa course from uar which is university of arts london and uh, yeah i was very pleased when i got accepted of course and i think it's helped me a lot with just being the artist that i am today and honing on to my skill and realizing what I wanted to do with my art and where I wanted to go with it. Mm. So the the style of teaching in the UK, the curriculum is very different from India, isn't it? And although in, you haven't re- really um, done a, a formal course in India, but I've heard and I'm sure you also know that it's quite um, conceptual and there's no and skill um, is basically some, basically something that you learn in the workshops through technicians Absolutely. and what the college offers is like a, an atmosphere and reading and introduction to uh, art practices so how did that kind of um, help you in um, uh, furthering your ideas and um, your plans So when I first got to London in the UK to be quite honest I had done, I had been doing art for about 4 years at that point mm. and sculpture for about 3 and a half years mm. so I was much more concentrated on honing my skills as an artist yeah more than actually the research oriented questions behind why I make the art mm. so a lot of my art at the time was me just experimenting or me just making for the purpose of making and building and I broke much more than I made Mm. and i've cast it did just you use context in the, or you just made something which was 
um, an, an object on its own or was there some research behind it or a meaning or you could plug so, into something? I would say there was meaning behind my sculptures but absolutely no research. Mm-hmm. Because what I was doing at the time was I was initially told in Triveni by Saroj ma'am to make a piece on a mother and child. That was my first ever sculpture piece. And I just produced this abstract human sculpture piece that I felt depicted it best. Post which I made a couple of more family oriented artworks. So there was absolutely no research behind what I did. I just did it because I loved it. And at the time I thought of this other piece, which is labeled concern of mine, which is an art piece, which was just someone hovering over and holding the other person. So it had a lot of emotion behind it, but it had absolutely no research at the time. And That's when I entered Radha Sir's studio as well, I've always been interested in the environment, nature, animals. It's just something that I've loved. So again, it was something that I just picked up as a subject matter. Like I would see, say, a mountain when I went on my travels. And I travel a lot. And that's something that inspires my artwork a hell of a lot, even to date. So I would see, say, a mountain boat standing at a distance. And I thought it looked aesthetically beautiful. It had absolutely no meaning behind it at the time. And I just came back and I would make it. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much what I did. And it was more about like learning the skill. So I think going to the UK for formal studies really helped me narrow in my research question of why I wanted to make the art, why I did it yeah. and what purpose I'm doing it for. So, so it's like I all the jigsaw puzzles kind of came into place. It, yeah, absolutely. So like you correctly said, we don't really learn technical skills in the UK, except for from the technicians. So I was lucky to already have a skill set. Yeah previous to coming to the UK. That was important. So it, I could concentrate a lot more on my research material, which is what I needed at the time, given at the particular time as well. So I think it also helped me meet other like-minded people, other artists, helped me build my contact base, you know, uh, meet people who are doing all sorts of varying art. It was fascinating to even learn from them, mm-hmm. to do collaborations with these people, shows with these people, just yeah. to see how it was out. also, you know, outside India, it's a very different world yeah. in terms of the art market right now. So it was fascinating just to see shows done in London, to go for a lot of the shows, to a lot of the museum spaces, just see the art there. So you learn a lot just via all of that. Yeah. And I think I was lucky enough to sort of fit my crafting as well as the research question in and then mold it into one. Fantastic. And then finally come out. Like I would say triumphant in my artworks and stuff that I love. Going back to that mother and child sculpture, which was the reason why you got the award, isn't it? Uh, Absolutely. Delhi Minorities Commission. So I feel my like my dissertation at the moment is about trying to capture um, emotion, how how it is that artists capture emotion that really um, vague and nebulous feeling of whether it's emotion of trauma, whether it's emotion of pain or happiness or maternal instinct and make an object out and objectify it. So um, in a way, without even realizing it, probably you are successful enough in creating that feeling of, um, you know, bringing about togetherness and um, Mm -hmm. the love between mother and child, which was probably what they recognized and rewarded you for it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, tell us about the shows in London that you did, which you 
collaborated with, which you said. And I know there have been quite a few, isn't it? You were talking about the mall galleries. Then you, yeah. yeah. So was that a sol- solo show or was it a collaboration? No, that was just an application-based show. Because mm-hmm. I had to apply. There was a thing called Wildlife Artists of the Year. Mm-hmm. So it's an open application world over. So I just applied for it and I happened to get in. So I was very lucky. That's fantastic. So how did, uh, what did you send uh, in through your application? What kind? So of- I've actually got this piece entitled Mountain Boat, which is what I told you about right. just right now. Mm-hmm. And I applied with this piece called The Narcissist. So again, that was one of my first pieces that I made, which is a rooster. He's staring at his own hand. And it's sort of like, you know, it's like this play on the selfishness of human nature. Yeah. Where you're just staring at yourself and like listening and being cocky about it. And all this so, Instagram and the whole um, atmosphere that is around us is yeah, what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so getting back to the collaborations, then I'll come to the mall gallery applications. Mm, right. In my first year in college, I think as a class, we were quite united as an MFA course. And I was very lucky to have great professors as well as really amazing classmates. And I think we all worked really well together as well. And we were people from all different spheres of life, different ages, different mediums, different concepts. But it was very interesting to see how we came together for a particular show. Mm. So the college also mandates that we have a show, you know, every semester, Mm. wherever it may be. So one show was in the crypt, Mm. which is in the Houston church, below the Houston church. So it was interesting to see how everything finally came together. And that was also interesting for me because... I think, you know, you get out of your comfort zone a little bit because my entire topic is environment-based mm. primarily. Mm. And as, you know, as human beings, what we're doing to harm like nature and the animals around us and why we ought to stop doing so. So getting into a space of a crypt was very different and it's a different mindset. So It's a it beautiful space you know? though. Oh, it's a gorgeous mm. space, yeah. Mm. And I would say it was quite a successful show as well. Mm. And, you know, it was it was very interesting to make, again, things out of scrap material, which is something I'd done. And just to have a sustain, like, you know, I was on sustainable development because that is one of my main yeah. area, you know, topics. So how I was taking scrap material from all over and just building something that hopefully meshed into the space. So, know, so is that the a typical trope of artists going to different skips and trying out, uh, and, you know, dragging out stuff from rubbish bins and stuff? Did you do that? Or? Yeah, yeah, I did actually. So I actually went to a lot of, I stayed at Kurunov College, mm. which is uh, near Russell Square in London. And I actually went through the rubbish bin okay. <laughs> outside my college, literally to pick up scrap materials of varying metals and all. It was super interesting. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun as well doing this. And I also put out a post saying if anybody is throwing away anything, please mm. hand it your you know, and give it in. So it was really interesting just like making things out of scratch and to give it context and some sort of meaning behind it. I was, uh, we also put up a show in Good Enough itself. Mm-hmm for as part of the art week there again where you just we collaborated with different people meaning we made our own pieces but then we tried to put it all together to make sense of it so i think you know i also did an entire piece on the welfare of horses Mm. where when i first got to london i just could not stop making these miniature horses Mm. they become like a bit of an obsession of mine and how come with horses Uh, was there a reason for that Yes, actually, just before I had traveled to a place called Panchkini, mm. where I had gone in December and I had seen a couple of these really downtrodden horses that had just been like, 
Oh, they keep using them with uh, tourists climbing onto them and they keep, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a couple of them were lame and they were just like thrown out. Like Mm. they were no longer of use. And that struck a chord, I think, Mm. at the time. And I made these uh, small wooden horses in college, which were a big hit at the time, which were technically, they came out quite well. Post which I kept just casting them. And then I was trying to do image work with them. I was trying to do some installation work with them. So it was fascinating because you're going to different spheres that I would have never done had I not been in London, which is lighting, moving image. You know, I did all of this. Right. So I made a video, you know, all things that I would have never potentially done had I been in India. So do you do videos and moving image with your sculptures or I did, separate? but no longer do. Yeah. Okay. So, so I have experimented in that. No, so, but uh, moving back to the mall galleries, yeah. close the collaborations, I think I wanted to make the most of my time in London while I was there and try and exhibit at some big exhibition spaces if I could. So I looked out for certain sorts of exhibitions and galleries that spoke more to me and about things that I was interested in, which is environment, wildlife, welfare, you know, things like that. And I got in for, um, one was a Society of Women's Artists Mm -hmm. at the mall galleries as well. So it was completely application-based, where you just based it's an open application. And I was you seem enough. very like uh, cool about it, but actually it's a big deal. Not everybody gets in the first time. Yeah, I know. That's what I've heard, yes. <laughs> yeah, so the Wildlife Artist of the Year was quite a... Yeah, so when I heard from different people, they're like, oh, that's amazing. And at the yeah. time, I mean, I was just applying because I was looking through things. Mm. And I think I do my research. This is where coming back to my bachelor's, this really helps me. Mm. Because I feel like I look for shows that you know, where I know I have a semi-decent chance to get into. Right. I don't apply just haphazardly to like a hundred shows and hope that one of them picks me. Yeah, I try applying really well to say the 10 shows that I think I have a shot at mm-hmm. and really send in a good application. So um, I was really lucky to be able to exhibit there as well. So I exhibited at the Society of Women's um, uh, like art show in the mall galleries as well as for the Wildlife Artists of the Year at the mall galleries as well. Right. So, and I think those are also a huge learning curve for me mm-hmm. because just seeing how well organized these, like, organizations were that put up these shows every year, how meticulously they did everything. No and the fuss. curation was done by them. They decide how curation it's presented. Curation was done purely by them and I thought it was beautifully done. Mm. Yeah, I thought the show was put up brilliantly. They had brochures. They had everything done in time. It was just so well-planned and executed. And do they even uh, give you a budget? Or do you have to spend on the brochures and the... um, No, they actually spend on everything. The minute you get in... Wow, that's amazing. They literally... And 50% of the proceeds actually goes towards charitable organizations for wildlife welfare. Okay. Which is amazing again. Of course. Nothing like it, yeah. So, um, it was really great seeing these really well-established, you know, powerhouses of art almost sort of exhibiting and, you know, doing their thing and watching how they work because they did it meticulously. It was no fuss, nothing, brilliantly organized. So the fact that now that you're here back in India, does that affect your chances in getting back into shows with them in the future? So, unfortunately, you need to drop over your piece preliminary for that for them to then decide if it gets in mm. to the show. 
Oh, you so can't now, just send them, send them uh, I can't just send them, images. Like, unfortunately, okay. yeah. So, of course, it does hamper my chances. But having said that, I will continue to apply to places where I feel like I'm just, you know, if I get selected, I can send a sculpture across and they can manage. Talking about like, yeah, sending across sculptures and the fact that you have to send physical pieces. How do you... Um, what do you think about scale? Do you uh, work with um, pieces which are like, you keep sh showing those horses which are like, you know, palm sized. Absolutely. Uh, and do you um, have any particular intention in terms of scale or do you just work with uh, what is convenient or um, do you have any ideas behind it? So now that my practice is more research-based, to be honest, I think about scale before I make something. Mm. So my largest sculpture is about six and a half feet tall, actually. And, and my what? smallest wow. sculpture is about six centimeters. So I've got all varying sorts of scale. And I think at the time, um, I like a larger scale. It just comes to me more naturally because I feel like it's more impactful, which might not necessarily be true, actually. Mm. Because when you look at a small, really well-made sculpture, it could have a huge impact on you as well. But I think I naturally gravitate towards slightly larger pieces of art. And having said that, I now look at scale as well. Anytime I make an art piece, because I feel like it's fitting with the research behind it. Mm -hmm. So it depends on what I'm trying to make, what I'm trying to achieve through it, what I'm trying to make the viewer see. It's got a host of. Right. And um, in terms of studio space, uh, what is the arrangement with you now? So studio is, a, of course, it's a big hassle for everyone, especially sculptors. Mm. And I have a porto cabin right now at home that I worked out, work out of. Mm -hmm. And my house is flooded with my sculptures because there's no place to keep them. Oh, otherwise mm. so um i'm working out of the port cabin and i'm lucky enough to have space for a porto cabin as well so at some point in the future i might start looking at rentals but for now i think i'm quite happy with the space mm. and what about like um kilns and um you know stuff for the bronze works where do you get that done so i actually met a couple of craftspeople through all my experiences over the years in delhi mm -hmm. And now I actually hire a few of them as well to help me with my artworks. So one of the people that I hire, he himself has his own sort of pit, which is a bronze pit. Mm -hmm. So I actually do the bronzing in his studio now and in his space. So all the preliminary work, which is the wax work, the clay work, any of the welding, all gets done in my studio. So you and do the, the welding also? Tig and make yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. So I have help as well, but I also do it. So it's okay. a bit of both. And um, I make that, I make the preliminary bases here and then I take it across to his studio and then finish off the bronzing there and then finish the coloring there as well and bring it back. Okay. Next is about the fantastic galleries in Delhi and Bombay. Have you ever tried to get in touch with them and how easy is it to make inroads into their um, artist um resident artist lists because i keep seeing amazing works from them uh, on instagram so have you ever you know tried approaching them and uh, asking so them so far i have not mm. but because i think initially right now i've got a show happening in the india habitat center yeah that's amazing. which i've already booked which i've applied for which is happening in 2022 mm. because culture takes a long time as well 
and uh, are you considering that as your debut then for uh, i am in um, india so that's my sort of my solo introduction show in india yeah which will be my debut into the art market at the time and i thought for now it would be fitting that i curated myself i do everything myself just because i feel like uh, i will get a curator on board i think closer to the show perhaps but for now i think i have a certain vision of what i'd like to do with my artwork And is it a large space in, the habitat very large space yeah oh, okay. because it's yeah so it's um the visual art gallery in mm. the india habitat center and again you have to just apply for it it's like a normal application online so uh, luckily i've been accepted into the list and i'll be exiting there for about 2 weeks which is like i said my debut in india i think post which i will start then perhaps approaching galleries But having said that, I've already met a couple of galleries in India through the India Art Fair, and made my rounds. And I'm not really in touch with any of them, but I think I have spoken to a few of them, had a sense of what the galleries are like, what they are looking for. So, so do, it's do you also think that you have to research like you do for what you said about galleries here, like whether these are galleries actually fit in with your um, thinking about. you know what your practice is and whether their practices kind of are compatible with what your thinking is do you think that's Absolutely. important yeah yeah i think that plays a big difference even in a gallery space because i feel like they if they truly understand and appreciate your work only will then they do justice to your art pieces mm. you know and i think that's really important so before i ever apply for any gallery or i go to any gallery i always do my research and what is their terms like is it 50% like it is here like the proceeds of the sales Yeah, I think in most galleries it's about forty percent. Right. So talking about sales, when you start to make your work and project, do you think of making art works for yourself, or do you always have that commercial bit that oh this has to sell, or you know do you kind of judge your value of your artwork based on the kind of impact it makes on the collector or when people offer you to buy your work does that make you feel good or do you think when it's critically um appreciated is what you want so honestly i make artwork for myself which mm. is not the best but the point is like i genuinely do mm. i make it because i love it and when i think it's critically appreciated is when i get really happy about it when someone's really understood what the artwork is all about so having I said know. that i don't look at the sales aspect as much before making it and unfortunately getting into this field you do get into it's like a business entrepreneurship at the end of the day so ultimately you do think about it later on but to begin with no i never do so do you think it's a business entrepreneurship For sure, I think if you want to make a career out of it, and yeah. if you want to be successful in it, you need to stay true to what you are trying to portray in your artworks. I think that's extremely important. But there should be so, an intersection with what there has to be an intersection because at the end of the day, unfortunately, you will not sell if you do not reach out to people, and you will not be able to make more art. So you hamper yourself at the end of the day. So I that's think true. you know it's a fine line between the two. So I. think also because for me it's like i think through art you can sort of inform you can educate and you can sort of ignite some sort of curiosity even for me it's particularly towards the environment which is what i'd like to create through my artwork but having said that i think it's important to sort of maintain that balance between the two things 
which is creating work that you believe in, work that you're passionate about, doing something that you love doing, and then hopefully it's selling. Mm. So, um, your decision to become an artist to like you don't do you plan to have a day job and you plan to have kind of a um a way of making your art at the same time till you start making money from it um what are your plans to kind of earn your livelihood so the thing is i was taking workshops while i was in london right for children so i did that over a long period of time and i think i will i come back here now now of course because of quarantine and lockdown it's entirely different but Postic lifting, I think I will probably start holding workshops again in the interim period before my show. So it helps you also sort of honor your skills mm. in a way when you teach others. And I think it's also a good source of revenue if there are people that are willing to pay and come. So I think I will probably do that for the run up of the show. I know. Yeah. I mean, what I'm trying to ask is what I try to find out from um, young people like you is. you've decided that you did a political science degree and you had like all an entire world in front of you and then you decided no i want to become an artist so there's something obviously coming from deep within for you to make something and be creative and um uh, use your time and energy to be an artist so has that paid off and um what is it that really kind of pushes you forward i'm sure it's not always been like great and amazing and inter- motivating no, and success really. so what is it that um pushes you forward to be to do this practice which is so it's like there's no structure to it and it's all very self driven and it's so subjective because what you like 100 other people may not like so what is it that um drives you as an artist is what i want to know i mean for me i know why i'm doing it because um i'm i'm much older so it's a different kind of intention but for somebody who's in their 20s and who probably is looking for doing this for the next 40 50 years what is it that um drives you forward and do you look at goals do you make goals like Five years down the line, I want to be like this, or ten years down the line, I want. To, or have you even thought about it, or do you just take it as it comes day after day? I think honestly, I take it as it comes. But having said that, I of course plan ahead because, like I said, I've already booked my show for twenty twenty two, and I really harassed the crap out of the Habitat Center in order <laughs> to get me in because I kept sending them emails, yeah, with my proposals and all of that. So of course, I do look ahead. But having said that, I do take it day by day for sure. I'm not someone. I don't have any sort of. I have set target goals in terms of how much artwork I would like to produce within a particular framework of time. Right. I do hmm. because otherwise you need to keep yourself structured. Yeah. You know, in order to move ahead, otherwise you just slack off and do nothing. So having said that, or you I, you might be like completely like paralyzed by doubt. I mean, I mean, you might have absolutely. ideas in your head, but till you actually make and something, and not actually execute them, and. it has been so surprising for me because a lot of the time some artworks that i think will come out beautifully and brilliantly and you know they look great when they come out the final product you're like oh god like you know <laughs> what is this like you know it doesn't convey what you had initially thought of and sometimes something can come out that's a, a mistake it's not beautiful and you're like wow like you know so it's it's all a matter of just perspective at the end of the day 
and something that you want to achieve so i think having said that i do set target goals for myself practically as well as theoretically for sure and i think the minute the lockdown happened is when i realized that of course i'm not going to be able to practice as much as i was due to lack of materials even manpower and that's actually why i started this group and this initiative also yeah coming to that yes. yeah yeah so i'll i'll talk more about that in a while but um i think for me to my art i really hope that there is some sort of um you know as human beings we can understand that our actions are harm other sort of living species around us and the environment around us and that we need to be made aware of that mm. that is something that i hope to impart through any of my artworks that i would like to sell in future and the fact that you know everything is sort of integrated so sustainable living nowadays is integrated every everything we are all connected human beings environment animals we are all somehow interlocked and interconnected even you know uh, even sort of materials around us everyday use objects so i'd like to make the viewer aware of all of these things while i'm building my artworks and therefore i do different pieces based on them so well. do you have like text when you um uh when you exhibit or even sell your works do you give them a kind of background Absolutely. of i feel it's really important for me to impart what i would like the viewer to know about my artwork but having said that if you if it impacts you differently or in another way i would be happy as well as long as you know you're satisfied with say the artwork even if you don't like it that's not important to me frankly speaking because i know art's very subjective yeah so as long as there are a few people out there that get it that love it i'm super happy and i think my job at the end of the day in that sense is done very inspiring so yeah so, I, yeah. so tell us about the um, initiative that sounds so interesting and it's so important especially in indian context to yeah uh, one is that you you're kind of uh, fostering like um um interest in students to take up art and not just something that you do on the side and you're giving a, a lively a, a, a means of earning a living through, for the crafts people and the master crafts people so that they can probably teach the next generation not only their children Absolutely. but also so uh, how did you come about this uh, fantastic idea so there's actually a uh, tie up between the united nations institute of training and research mm. and global challenges forum that has this 1 billion youth leaders 2030 initiative so i got approached by someone from unitar who seen my social media profile and realized that a lot of my art is also research driven and oriented oh i see okay. and um because of that they actually just asked me to start this artist group in india mm. if i had any formal ideas if i had thought of anything and i thought it would be great to actually spread art awareness it's something that i know we don't have in schools here having grown up in this education i had no idea that you could even make a living being an artist as ridiculous as that sounds yeah. in this day we got to just yeah we are just taught to paint and you know sketch and you're done you know and it's a hobby at the end of the day in an indian context it's always this such a fun hobby you have you know it's never an art career tell me about it yeah so it's terrible so i thought it it's really important for especially our youth to understand that this is something that they can garner and they can grow on and they can make a career out of so i thought of this collective called art and artisans that i've just initiated in india and i hope to go with time 
which is one is harnessing art awareness in schools the next thing is to also help our artisans because i feel like it's you know a lot of our indian crafts are dying out nowadays yeah. Yeah. due to commercialization so i thought it would be great to approach a couple of ngos that are out there who are already working for and get school children to have direct interaction with our artisans mm. which i think is so important because i have met an artisan in my life before i actually got into the art field so but um, don't these I, guys live like really far away in the in villages and small towns and so how how is thing, it practically possible so the thing that we are looking at initially right now is actually just making art awareness possible through themes through online competitions mm. for school children right just to you know press upon really pertinent themes such as sustainability and you know thing even if it's violence domestic violence anything any any really strong topic and themes uh the next is with the artisans we are hoping for it to become an all india campaign mm. as of now i've already got schools in nainital and simla and um mount abu and smaller places and around india yeah. where there are artisans around those areas that can hopefully tie up with the schools there and go there and teach the children maybe every semester and maybe just the higher secondary students so those schools can, are okay i mean have they got a budget to fund these uh, crafts people to come over and so as of now yeah that's what we are hoping because mm. we are approaching a couple of schools some schools are very interested in the idea and since the idea is quite new i'll have to see how that goes along the way as well and if of course global challenges forum and unitar can also start funding us and perhaps funding the schools for the artisans so i think it's still you know it's a project in process right now in progress slowly oh yeah it's so just started right we, you've just kind of initiated we've just started yeah right? and then the lockdown started. happened and absolutely yeah, yeah. So. so we've not really been able to start on full swing so we're really hoping my next year at least some facets of it take off and having said that i've already approached a couple of schools in remote areas in india you should approach so, like companies for sponsorship and uh, yeah actually so csr which is you know a, a very important sort of part of all companies which is their social responsibility so we are planning to approach massive art companies such as camblin and all who we hope will give us support you venture. know that infosys has a major arts uh, Sector. Yes, I, I mean they do I'll a lot see. of funding. Yeah, exactly. So we're hoping then ultimately to get funding from these major corporate houses as well, our corporate houses that you know will help fund our course, which also gives a livelihood to the artisans, as well as teaches students sort of just awareness of different types of art that are out there. and for them to be you know initiated into this world much earlier on absolutely than later yeah and um, ultimately we also like i mean it's about a matter of bringing artists together because we can hold shows like a couple of us can come together to hold shows to raise money for this so it's about collaborating meeting different artists about art awareness even about training so as of now we already started webinars online and we're holding talks online mm-hmm. children and whoever is interested on different techniques within the arts so just about you know how to write on art different sort of facets amazing you should uh, maybe even contact this uh, laila tyabji she does a lot of similar kind of work uh with seva s e w a with chicken yeah, curry yeah. so um yeah now i spoke about your music and musical abilities briefly in the beginning so yes. I do you have any ideas to collaborate or combine your musical musicality and 
I mean, it's really beautiful the way you're saying. You should do something. I feel with uh, both these talents that you have. Thank you. Actually, music is something that I've been doing since I was a child. I've been singing from a very young age as well, and I was never professionally trained. But having said that, you know, I've uh, been singing since I was six, and then I went into rock school, where I immediately gave my grade seven vocals to begin with, because I've been singing for such a long time. Wow. And then I finished my grade eight as well. And uh, after that, I think I realized that I am better suited for the culture and the artistic side of things, and that's something that I'd like to go down with. And I feel like for me personally, as much as I love traveling, because traveling is a very major part of my inspiration for my artworks, massively. And I just went to Rajaji Park because of which I made like. an elephant sculpture out of it which is mm. quite interesting what is the rajaji just before the it's this entire it's like this basically uh, habitat for elephants oh okay where they help sort of rare elephants and you know it's a wildlife sanctuary basically mm-hmm. for them primarily and it's in it's quite close by so it's you know so i love just traveling to random places and discovering new things and you know and a lot of my art gets inspired by there as well So I think having said that, with my singing abilities, I love singing. It's something that I've enjoyed since I was a child. But I don't have any particular. So that is your hobby then. <laughs> like that is my hobby. Yes, yes, that would be correct. <laughs> so far, to sort of tie the two together, although I have thought about it, mm. and my grandmother, who unfortunately just passed away, would um, kept telling me to maybe put a microphone into my sculptures with me singing about my pieces. See? So we would always that's yeah, that's so, a great idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. So having said that, yeah, I absolutely love it, but I don't have any plans in the near future. So and like you know, you promised that you would sing us a, lo- a lovely song. I did, I did, I did. Of course, I did. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought, considering the times right now, and considering COVID, it would be nice to have like a sort of an inspiring song. Yeah. So there's a song which is the, called "Hero" by Mariah Carey. Haha. Okay. Uh, which basically is, you know, talking about how you yourself are the hero and you can carry on. It's a hard song, Kushi. No, no. We didn't talk <laughs> about your name. Arey, missed it. My name? As in Kushi, there's a boy's name, isn't it? Yes, yes, it's a unique. But actually, my artist name is now officially K R Nariman. Yeah. Yeah, because I think. Um, You know, when I was, especially when I was in London, I realized how hard my name is for the foreigners to pronounce, and <laughs> and I realized that having a simpler name would also help people research and you know get in touch with me faster. And K R so, Nariman, um, it it brings about an image of a sorry middle-aged man. It does a South Indian middle-aged man. South Indian middle-aged man. <laughs> yes, yes, I have been told that in the past, but I think it's better than well. Uh, so it will be a good surprise name, when they see. Oh my God! It's a young person, young lady coming. <laughs> my name is actually unisexual, so even in for Muslims as well as Parsis, mm. it's a boy's name as well as a girl's name. Right. So yeah, it's lovely. I I mean, it just fits in with the times. I think. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Sure. Yeah. So please carry on with as hero. promised. As yeah, promised. Okay. Yeah. So this is Hero by Manakar. Is it going to be a cappella? Acapella. Yeah, acapella. Yeah, acapella. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a hero. If you look inside your heart, 
You don't have to be afraid of what you are. There's an answer. If you reach into your soul and the sorrow that you know will melt away. And then a hero comes along with the strength to carry on. And you cast your fears aside and you know you can survive. When you feel like hope is gone, look inside you and be strong. And you finally see the truth. That a hero lies in you. Wow. Thank Such you. a hard song to sing a cappella. Wow, amazing. You should even like apply to these musical competitions maybe. And I, I mean, yeah, I would love to ideally. But <laughs> I think that also takes a lot of your time. And your energy up. But yeah, anyway, it is it. a dream of mine, hopefully, at one point. I have won a couple of these um, Delhi University circuit competitions. But other than that, I've not really Why not? I mean, if you see, most people have like double careers. I mean, you have CEOs who are moonlighting as musicians and drummers. <laughs> you can, you I can might do... actually in some part. I, I genuinely might. I was I thinking think you of should. actually very seriously getting back onto the gig scene once I start just as a fun thing that relaxes me. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Because not everybody can sing like that. Anyway, thank you. Thank you so much Khushi. It's been such a pleasure and an honor to speak thank with you. Thank you. And um, and all the best for your future endeavors and exhibitions and keep us informed. Keep me informed, not us. I will. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you.